was a dark day in Dallas, November 63, a day that will live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a riding high, good day to be living and a good day to die. Being led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb, he said, wait a minute, boys, you know who I am. Of course we do. We know who you are. Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car. Shot down like a dog in broad daylight was a matter of timing, and the timing was right. You got unpaid debts. We've come to collect. We're going to kill you with hatred, without any respect. We'll mock you and shock you, and we'll put it in your face. We've already got someone here to take your place. Bob Dylan, Murder Most Foul, released in 2021 on his Rough and Rowdy Ways album. Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. First-hand evidence is the medium of the photographer. Perhaps it's why we take photographs and there is no shortage of evidence concerning the assassination of JFK. Or is there? I've recently watched the Oliver Stone documentary, once again re-examining the evidence that perhaps was shown at the time and that evidence that wasn't. Photographs and moving image remain as the most important forms of evidence, and yet they are in question when concerned with Kennedy's assassination. Who made which images? What are the images of? And how the images have or have not been manipulated formed a major aspect of Stone's investigation. The manipulation of images is not confined to the digital age and Photoshop as we know. The photographer's evidence is unreliable, just as the human memory has frailties. Stone's documentary is filled with memory-based evidence that aligns with collaborative evidence on record, on tape and on film. I know as a documentary filmmaker, the excitement of finding two people giving complementary opinions that support an argument. When this happened in the Bill J film we made, my heart would skip a beat and I would feel that we were moving forward in the construction of the narrative. In the past week, the celebration, if that is a correct word, or the memorization of January the 6th uh, took place, the storming of the Capitol building. Unlike with JFK's assassination, the recording of that event was not limited to just two or three people. There could be no arguing about the memories that were being recorded there and their truth. There was just too much visual evidence, the photographic evidence, to be manipulated, to be hidden or to be denied. This week, I've appeared on the BBC Sounds podcast, Uncanny, reliving, reliving, I should say, reliving a series of experiences and memories I have of a home I lived in and owned over 20 years ago. I have no photographic evidence of those memories, which in itself may say something about the nature of those experiences. Now I document with my phone camera the everyday, the insignificant and the small, the moments in between. It may not be everyone's truth, but it is mine. In the week just after Christmas, I was rung up by an art director and asked if I was available to shoot a, a story. Uh, a series of portraits for a commercial client. 
And it was interesting, the conversation we had. The reasons for her asking me to do the job were really not that photographic. Sure, she likes my work and she felt that I would do a good job and that was that was great. But in reality, I said to her, well, you know, there are other photographers who actually live closer to this location that I think are better than me. You know, why don't you work with them? They would do a better job. And the art director said to me, well, yeah, I get it. And you're right. They are better than you. I could take that one on the chin. Don't worry about that. But what they said to me, I think, is relevant to anybody thinking of either getting involved in commissioned professional photography or people who are finding it difficult at the moment to try and understand what the commissioner is looking for. What the art director said to me was this. You'll keep calm. I know that whatever happens, and these are difficult people to photograph, you'll be okay with that. It won't throw you. You'll come up with solutions and you're going to be easy to work with on that basis. So I know what I'm going to get, but also I know that whatever happens, you can handle it. It fits perfectly into something that I've said to people for many years about being a commissioned photographer. And I know a lot of photographers don't like to hear it. The percentages can be argued over but there is no doubt in which direction the percentages lean. I'd say this. When you're commissioning a professional photographer, it's 65 75% the person. The remaining percentage is the work. And that work's got to be good. But no matter how good it is, if you're not the right person, you're not going to get commissioned. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain what photography means to him, self-taught portrait photographer, Frederick Aranda. Frederick was born in Geneva, Switzerland in 1980 and came to the UK over 20 years ago to undertake a degree in Japanese at Oxford University. He's been based in London ever since and is known for a colourful but pared-down form of portraiture and mainly group portraits for clients such as Vanity Fair and Patek Philippe and Harrods. Two books of his work have been published, Electric Fashion in 2017 and California Elegance Portraits from the Final Frontier in 2021. He's had three solo exhibitions of his work in London, the most recent of which was in the Raphael Gallery at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Aranda was given a fellowship to the Royal Photographic Society in 2021, and his work has also been recognised by the International Photography Awards, the RPS International Photography Exhibition and the Swiss Photo Award. Aranda was also a finalist in the Sony World Photography Awards and the Aesthetica Art Prize. Last year, his work was part of a group show on Holocaust survivors living in the UK at the Imperial War Museum, London. My name is Frederick Aranda and I am a portrait photographer. To me, portrait photography means collaboration. I love working with other people, whether they are the people being photographed or people behind the scenes bringing it all together conceptually, visually, or logistically. 
If I can, I'll meet up with them before a shoot and we'll work out exactly what we're going to do. This helps us figure out what we all want to get out of the experience, but also why the shoot even matters. Photography is about community and collaborating creates a sense of community. I also think it's important to give your subject agency and to work alongside them, putting your ego aside, not making it about yourself, but letting someone else actively help you figure things out. Working with people gives them a voice and that's how they'll end up giving you a much more authentic, unguarded view of themselves, often without them even realizing it. My first photo shoot and the reason I took up photography was a collaboration. It was 20 years ago when my mother was going through a painful divorce. She had spent decades married to a man who frequently put her down and didn't value her opinion or ever take the time to listen to her. That was painful for me to watch as a child growing up, to see power dynamics that robbed someone of their own voice. Why shouldn't my mum have a voice? In fact, why shouldn't anyone have a voice? The day my father was kicked out of the house, I made a bold attempt to distract my mother from her situation and to do something fun with her by suggesting we do a photo shoot around the house, which she accepted. It turned out to be an excellent way for her to express her newfound freedom and how she felt at the time. We came up with ideas together. They led on to other ideas, and before we knew it, the whole day had just flown by. She loved it because she was finally able to express herself, and I loved it because I was finally able to show her how I saw her through my loving eyes. We continued with these shoots for years. At the time, I was doing a degree in Japanese at Oxford, but I taught myself photography in between Japanese classes by practicing on friends and fellow students. During the holidays, I'd then go back to photograph my mother with these newfound technical skills. The photo shoots, they really helped her to be creative during a turbulent time. And I was hooked onto this new tool for collaboration, which I could see held immense potential to tell stories, but also to make people feel good. I still think that those early pictures I took of my mother are the best I've ever taken. At the same time, my father cut me off, so it turned out that the portraits I was taking at Oxford of fellow students became my main source of income during my final years at university. I was lucky because word got around that there was a student photographer who shot portraits, and many budding actors started coming to me with very precise requirements of how they wanted their new headshots to look. This was commissioned portraiture, even though I didn't realize it at the time. One of my first collaborators at university was Rosamund Pike, who needed new headshots so that her agent could put her forward for the new Bond film. She showed me previous portraits she had done, and we discussed why we thought they fell short, and together we worked out how to do a fresh new set. Things grew from there, and 20 years later, this collaborative approach still permeates all the pictures that I take, whether it's personal work or commissioned portraiture. I'm not attracted to situations where people are unaware that they're being photographed or where they don't want to be photographed. In fact, if someone doesn't want to be photographed, then there is no photo shoot. It's a question of respect, and there is no collaboration without respect or consent. As long as mutual respect is in place, then I'm happy working with most people at telling their story, whether it's a personal project photographing a group of rabbis or whether I've been commissioned to photograph all the Vogue editors together in one room. 
In either case, it's a collaboration where vital input from the entire group is key to making it all work. From the composition and seating arrangement to the feel and mood of the final shot. Frank Gehry said that he loved collaboration. It pushes you. It's a richer experience, he said, and I completely agree. I never feel frustrated in a collaborative environment because I know that my voice as a creative is valued and that even in a commission environment, I can still maintain who I am as a photographer without my integrity being compromised. As long as I can collaborate in such a way that I could find that emotional attachment to the subject, then I would find myself with the subject at the heart of the portrait. Thank you, Frederick, for your contribution this week. I think it's so important that photographers who work in a professional commission basis speak out and actually explain the reality of working in that area. It isn't all about the client just telling you what to do and you becoming nothing more than a button pusher. So I really thank Frederick for explaining that. And also, I think, tying very nicely in, as always, uh, serendipity, because as you know, and as I say, I hadn't listened to Frederick's contribution until you just did then. But really interesting that it was tying into that little story I told prior to his contribution about that importance of the person in the commissioned environment. I think so often it's perceived that only in personal work can you do the kind of images, make the kind of images that you want to make. I'm here and Frederick's here to say that's not the case. I hope you've had an opportunity to catch up and listen to our New Year's Eve special uh, on which I have a conversation with Bill Shapiro from New York about what's happened over the past year, what's kind of happening and what's maybe going to happen in the coming year in photography, obviously. Well, in the last week, I received an email from Bill and it said, uh, given that rant is four-fifths of your name, perhaps you'd like to check this out. Well, I have to say, in 57 years, that's the first person to make that observation. I certainly haven't made it myself, and I do hope I don't rant too much. Maybe that is how I come over. Uh, but who knows? Anyway, this is the article that Bill alerted me to. Uh, and interesting, actually, after Frederick has gone to such detail, then into such detail, to explain really personal reasons as to why he became a photographer and how he put so much importance on collaboration and that idea of communication, to read something like this. Anyway, it was an article on the Petapixel website that, to me, smacked of commercial pressure from advertisers, but it was identified by the writer at the end as a parody. I'm not so sure that it was a parody, as it was neither witty, well-observed or funny. But anyway, you be the judge. It said this. And these are extracts, I should say, from the article, which actually wasn't very long in itself. It was titled, Why Real Photographers, in capital letters, Need to Keep Buying New Gear. Says, I can't think of any other profession outside of photography where the pros obsess about their tools quite as much as we do. I have to say I don't. If you're just stood there going through the motions with the same old boring gear, you won't necessarily be enjoying yourself. It's a strange concept. Your lack of enthusiasm will show in your attitude at the time, 
as well as in the photos later. There is no logical reason to replace a perfectly good lens with another version of the same when the previous lens was already great. Your client almost certainly won't notice that you've used a GM, L or Art lens and they definitely won't care. So why bother? If you take all the emotion out of shopping for your photography gear, then you'd probably end up with a set of professional quality zooms that cover an extensive focal length. They will be flexible and last for years, but that's just boring, evidently. Boring's in italics, I have to say. Uh, my asides here from me, not from the so-called parody, but I've never found working with the same equipment as being boring. I found it rather rewarding, actually, that I don't keep have to spend large amounts on equipment uh, to get paid. But anyway... He finishes up by saying great photographers love taking photos. Well, we'll agree on that. They push themselves creatively and strive to capture something new and exciting every time they go out. But what gets us most excited? New gear. Well, it doesn't. Um, but there you go. You can tell whether or not you think that's a parody or somebody uh, hiding an advert to try and get you to go and spend more money on Nikons, Canons, Olympus, Sony and Fuji, uh, or not. All I would say about that is we, we very rarely talk about equipment on this show, on this particular podcast. I don't think we ever get boring. I know certainly the contributions from the photographers I never find boring. And they almost never talk about cameras. So there you go. Perhaps that's a, a rebuttal of that particular article. And thanks, Bill, for alerting me to it and also coming up with a, a new nickname for me. I did tell my family about this. They thought it was very funny. OK, so that pretty much comes to the end of this particular uh, episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've found it either annoying or uh, refreshing. Who knows? The whole point is never to agree, that's for sure. I've been uh, talking a little bit about NFTs over the last few weeks, and I, and I can say that uh, I'm not going to be talking about them, I hope, very um, much more. All I do know is that new things that come along are not always good, and just by saying they're good doesn't make them good. I think that's worth bearing in mind whatever comes up in the uh, new year in 2022. But one thing I do know is always a good idea, and that, of course, is to take care. Mm -hmm.